0: I'm Natalie. And I'm Christina. We're two best friend registered dietitians living their best lives in the beach cities of Los Angeles, California.
1: We're here to serve you with evidence-based knowledge, a little storytelling, and a whole lot of laughs. And And this this is is the Crunchy Crunchy Dietitians Podcast. 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 Welcome back to the Crunchy Dietitians. Hello. We're happy to be back, and today's episode is going to be about, uh, be about cravings. Cravings.
0: So that little pesky thing that we kind of want to get rid of, but at the same time, it's totally normal. So we're going to talk about all things cravings today. I mean, I had some literally today. I ate five cookies. I talked about it on my Instagram stories. <laughs> no, really? I didn't see that yeah, yet. Yeah, I did. And um, a lot of people resonated with it because you know what? That shit
1: is normal. Yeah, very normal. It happens to everyone. It's a very normal human thing. Um, And I think a lot of people just want to completely eliminate them or think that it's a bad thing or think that there's some like silver bullet to get rid of them. Um, So that's why we're here today to talk about all of that so we will jump right in.
0: Yeah, let's just jump right in. So before we kind of dive into the nitty gritty, we want to give you guys sort of a background. Like what are cravings? How are they different? You know, how are they different from hunger? Obviously we have hunger and we have appetite, which is sort of the same thing as cravings. So first off, Hunger is a physiological need. It's a physical need that we actually have for food. It tends to be more general. Um, you know, for instance, if you're really hungry and you're starving, you're. You know, people usually say something like, "Oh, I could eat a horse right now." Or, you know, if you're really hungry, it doesn't really matter what food is in front of you. You're gonna eat it, right? Yeah. Um, but when it comes to a craving, cravings are typically very specific. Uh, you might want a certain. like something savory or something sweet or something, you know, sour. There's something specific there that you're looking uh, to find. So a food craving specifically is a very strong urge or desire to consume a particular food or beverage. And it specifically has its sort of flavor to it that you're looking, looking for. So obviously these things, like I mentioned, it might be something high fat. A lot of the time it's carbohydrates and it's impacted by you know various sorts of stimuli so it might be something visual so maybe you saw a burger commercial and it started making you salivate you know sometimes i remember those i think it was Carl's Jr., those commercials where they would like slice the onions and then they would chop the lettuce and you're like hearing all of the sounds. You're seeing all of the visuals with all the colors and the beads of water trickling off the tomato slices and the juicy. um, They know all of it. They
1: know what's going to get going. (laughs) They
0: have studied the science of food cravings, right? (laughs) And so they kind of hit all those senses, the visual, the, you know, they can't get you really smelling it. But when you're depicting it in such a bright way like that, where you feel like you're right in front of that burger, it almost feels like you can taste it. It almost feels like you can smell it. So again, food cravings are normal. Uh, over 90% of the population has them. And the other 10% is lying. I'm um, just so, kidding. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> I that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty yeah. much. So um, <laughs> again, it's just a human thing. And when it comes down to the research on food cravings, there's two types. There's tonic cravings. And these cravings usually have no environmental stimuli, meaning there's nothing from outside of your environment that's triggering these cravings. It usually is something that's coming from within you, which again, that's a normal human thing. So um, it's experienced over a period of time, or it could just be in a given moment. Maybe you had a, a memory that came up, or maybe you're just thinking, oh, I I didn't have this food for a while. That sounds good. That's usually a tonic craving. There's also Q-induced cravings, which happen over a short period. And it's usually a really intense craving. And it's also triggered by an environmental stimuli. Like I said, with the burger commercial, maybe maybe you saw that commercial and then all of a sudden you have this Q-induced craving or you know maybe your friend is telling you that she just had this amazing chocolate cake for her birthday and you start you know thinking oh my gosh that sounds so good or she
1: sent you a picture and so they tag me in like a really yes. long cinnamon roll sandwich on Instagram <laughs> yes. and I'm like okay I need this in my life right now
0: which I just did oh my god they were like cardamom like cinnamon rolls that she made this like homemade vanilla custard with so she sliced them in half and then put the custard in the middle and they just looked so good and in- moist for all of you that love that word um I actually do love that word I have like, no I don't problem have with it either at, at all yeah, I, I very much enjoy it, and it honestly makes me think of cake so get your minds out of the gutter guys
1: pleasure is a word I used to not like when I was like probably in my teen like mid teens to like early 20s like really I the get word that. pleasure I was like don't say that especially like my parents are like someone older than me I was like just don't ever say that yeah. word. Now, I don't care at all. I'm like, pleasure, whatever. I feel like there's like so it. much beneath that when you <laughs> right. dive
0: into it. I feel there's like there's I want to like... be a therapist. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here.
1: <laughs> but... I'm cool now, though. <laughs> no, <laughs> pleasure it up. voice <laughs> it up. Pleasure it up.
0: We're talking about food. Give me a minute <laughs> the gutter. Where are you? <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. But this is what our conversations are like on the day-to-day.
1: Yes. You're so, getting yeah. the real-life versions of us. So,
0: <laughs> Anyways, so – back to cravings. So yeah, tonic and Q induced. Those are really the two types. There's a lot of things that go into these things too, you know, like the tonic cravings for instance, and just any sort of craving really, you know, it's like we have these natural preferences for foods that, you know, obviously are impacted by just natural biological reasons. You know, some people don't like chocolate and some people do some people like sweet and some people like savory. So there's natural preferences that we cannot really explain. But then there's also learned preferences. There's also cultural uh, preferences. So if you grew up in an African household, maybe you tend to like spicier foods or, you know, if you grew up in an Italian household, maybe you really love olives or, you know, there's so many different things that if you're more familiar with the food you may like it more it may bring back good memories um, and then also same thing with social factors there too so you know we're just going to kind of keep it simple for the purpose of this and we're just going to break it down into the psychological or mental components versus the physiological or physical components so natalie's going to talk a little more about that
1: yes so for the physiological we're going to kind of break that down into like generally physical and then also we're going to get specific and um, i'm going to talk now about the hormonal aspect of that, right? So hormones, right? We've all heard of the word. We pretty much have an idea. I think most of us of what they are. They're basically messenger proteins in our body that travel throughout our bloodstream to go to a specific tissue, organ, whatever, and elicit some kind of a response It starts some kind of a cascade or a process. Um, So they regulate lots of different processes within our bodies. Tons of them. Um, we're going to touch on a few here that are associated with cravings. Um, so the first two, leptin and ghrelin, those are kind of the "quote unquote" hunger hormones that you may or may not have heard of. So leptin is a hormone that decreases appetite. So it kind of tells our bodies that, hey, you know, you've had enough food; you can stop eating now, and it um, suppresses food intake in that way. This is also known as an anorexigenic hormone or has an anorexigenic effect. So if you think of the the part of that word anorexic right not not eating or lowered food intake mm-hmm. so we can think of leptin as the i'm full i've had enough no more hunger for me and then ghrelin is the opposite of the of leptin so ghrelin i think of like a little grim, gremlin that's really hungry and wants to eat everything so, do I. so ghrelin mm-hmm. is the hormone that increases appetite and it's orexigenic so that's just the opposite of anorexigenic so orexigenic means we're eating or we're increasing our appetite. So those two hormones really deal with hunger in general, but they can also play a role in cravings. They can be impacted by things like inflammation, um, elevated free fatty acids in the blood, um, obesity as well. These are all risk factors for things like cardiovascular disease and diabetes as well. Also sleep plays a role in our hormones. Uh, insufficient sleep can increase ghrelin and decrease leptin. So if you think about if we're increasing ghrelin, our hunger levels are going to go up. We're going to think we're more hungry. We're going to want to eat more food. And if leptin levels go down, we're not going to think that we're full or we're not going to experience that satiation like we maybe normally would from eating. So we might eat more. We might be more inclined to overeat if we're not sleeping well, or we're, we're getting inadequate sleep. So sleep is super important on so many levels. Exercise can also work against leptin resistance. So that can be kind of a confusing sentence to break down, but basically exercise can help you to feel full, right? If we're leptin resistant, that means leptin isn't working and doing its job. So we're not feeling that fullness. So the more we exercise, the more maybe we're able to kind of be more in tune with those cues of like, okay, hey, I've had enough to eat.
0: And your, your cravings are really just going to be kind of off the charts, you know? Yeah. Um, so having all those factors, like Natalie said, like getting that sleep, that exercise is really important.
1: Yeah. Exercise and sleep probably are the two main ones. Also like water intake. There's so many things that I think could go into really helping regulate your system and Mm -hmm. make sure that your body is functioning optimally. Mm -hmm. And hormones play a huge role in that because they literally are regulating everything that's going on in our bodies. Right. And just to add one more thing, they're,
0: they kind of, have this like synergistic effect. Like they work together and there's an interplay between the hormones. So it's, they call it a hormone cascade for a reason because they all interact with one another. And when one is shooting up really high, then another one might dip really low. So just so you know, they kind of all have this really delicate interplay. And that's why just having an overall healthy lifestyle, like we were just talking about is super important.
1: Yeah. We want to, we want to kind of cater to helping the processes function how they should function right because there's different loops that can you know maybe be affected by things that we're not doing or that we are doing so Mm -hmm. if we're like not exercising then that can maybe impact a negative feedback loop that's supposed to be happening or if we're even if we're over exercising there's also such thing as too much of a good thing right and then inadequate sleep so like christina just said all these things play a role so there's direct effects and then indirect effects on how they all act on each other so it's very Complicated. This is not a, a simple subject, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of people try to make it sound really simple, like, oh, if you're caving this, you just need this, and it's like, mm, it's not that quite that simple. We can't really look at it through that really small, single lens. You right. kind of need to back up a bit and look at it from a bigger picture. Um, so. Uh, we're still talking about hormones. So we just talked about leptin and ghrelin. We talked about how sleep plays a role. We talked about how um, exercise plays a role. So inadequate sleep can also raise cortisol levels. Okay. So cortisol is another hormone. I'm sure you guys have heard of it called the stress hormone. So it's a steroid hormone. It's released in response to any stressor back before we had civilized communities, the stressor might have been a large animal chasing us for it's a dinner, right? So that's a stressor. We're running, we're in fight or flight. So that's the whole point of cortisol is to put us into fight or flight. So our blood vessels are going to constrict and our heart rate's going to go up and we're, you know, we're going to pump blood to our big large muscles so that if we need to bolt and get the f out of a location to save our lives we can. Of course today that's not really an issue, right? But we still have stressors constantly in our busy lives that are run by the clock. We're going going going. We don't take a lot of time for rest. Um, it's just the society that we live in, in the modern world. Cortisol is important though. So I think a lot of people, maybe cortisol gets a bad rap. A lot of people are like, oh, cortisol, it's like this terrible stress hormone, and like constantly, you know, surging through my body and making me unhealthy. But there's a, there's a reason for it, right? The problem is that what happens when it gets out of balance and we're, we're in fight or flight too often, but it's important. It, it rises when we wake up in the morning, right, to get us going out of sleep mode. It rises when we exercise. It rises in any any situation when we're under acute stress, and it's very important that it does this. Just like inflammation in the body is really important. There's a, there's a purpose behind it, right? But it's when it's constantly happening or it's out of control. So because we live these high-stress, fast-paced lives, cortisol is oftentimes or can be elevated more maybe beyond normal um, levels or you know chronically in a way so when this happens the cells in our bodies can become starved meaning that we're not going to be letting sugar from the food that we eat or glucose into our cells as easily because cortisol actually acts as an antagonist to insulin right so insulin is the key that unlocks the door that lets the sugars or the glucose into our cells but cortisol comes and stops that key stops the insulin from working so therefore, we're eating food, but the glucose isn't getting into our cells because the cortisol's there telling it you can't enter. So there's tons of glucose in our blood, but our cells aren't getting it, right? Cortisol is like, okay, hold up, hold up, hold up. Okay, I am
0: not okay right now. Like, you're not just going to come up in here and try to do all this right now. Like, I just need a moment, okay? Like, I literally just have a visual. Exactly. No, like, cortisol, cortisol is that sassy is bitch. Like, sassy okay, excuse bitch. me.
1: Yes. No, like, you think you're going to get
0: energized up in here? I'm not
1: even getting what I need. Exactly. That's cortisol, right? there. Perfect. That's a perfect depiction. So, um, so what happens then is our cells are thinking that they're, they're starving, right? I'm not getting any energy is what they're saying because cortisol, this bitch out here ain't letting me eat, <laughs> but yet there's tons of glucose surging through our blood. Right. So, but this, this doesn't matter because our cells, if they don't have it, then we're not, you we can't use it as energy. So our cells are saying you're hungry. Well, you need to eat food. So this can actually increase our appetite. It can also have direct influence on appetite and cravings for higher calorie foods. Specifically, I was looking at some of the research, and this happens especially in women. So those who had higher levels of cortisol were having cravings for higher calorie foods. So we're going to talk more about like estrogen and things like that. But it does this by binding to the hypothalamus and receptors in the hypothalamus, which is in the brain, and thus um, increasing our appetite for specific foods, which is a craving. All right, so moving on to pregnancy, also PMS, right? Times within a woman's life where we might have more cravings. So in the luteal phase would be premenstrual time. That is when we can see increased cravings for whatever. Usually it's something sweet. It tends to be something that's higher in carbs. So I often think of like chocolate or Literally ice cream or chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. The house. And I hear that a lot from yeah. my female friends, from women in general on social media. Like we see this all over the place. We see it in movies. We see it in TV shows because it is a real thing and mm-hmm. it, it, does, it does happen. So PMS leads to changes in estrogen and progesterone. And this is what is kind of causing those cravings why exactly we don't really know but we know that this is an association so i kind of want to underline the fact that none of this is causal we can't really say like well this is is exactly what's happening and this is exactly what's causing you to have a craving for this exact food we really can't say that but we we can say as well we see that this is up when you're doing this or this is down when you're you're craving this so these are associations right exactly. so we can say that it's associated but it's not caused by it necessarily. We just don't know for sure. So pregnancy, same thing. It impacts hormones like estrogen. Um, and there can also be a taste and smell change that impacts uh, food choices during pregnancy. A lot of times, you know, you'll hear women, and I know women who have been pregnant who have told me, like, their smell gets super intense, and they can smell, like, everything and anything. And then with that, sometimes things that used to smell good to them now kind of repulse them. Yeah. Or foods that used to taste good to them kind of don't taste good anymore. Why, evolutionarily speaking, does this happen? We don't really know for sure. Maybe it could be some kind of a protective you know, thing of like your sm—your senses are heightened so that you can better detect foods that have gone bad, scope out things that are not going to be helpful or, or good for you and your baby that might maybe harm you. Mm-hmm. But we don't like in the modern day, that's not really useful because, you know, we're not like hunting and gathering anymore. But that just might be residually what has happened over the um, our evolution. But yeah, that's what basically in a nutshell, how hormones are involved. So that's like one physiological part of cravings and maybe how they're working and some associations going on there with hormones, which obviously we can't control our hormones, but we can do things to help to ensure that they are functioning as they should, in which case we should be feeling our best, not craving things like in, insanely that are like, you know, and having these insatiable cravings or like leading like to binges and things like that.
0: Right. Like um, just taking care of your body at the end of the day. Just that's why we have those evidence-based guidelines, like sleep, you know, eight hours of, of sleep a night and stick to the six teaspoons or nine teaspoons per day of sugar for men and women, you know, things like that, or women and men, I should say. But, um, You know, so it's very, you know, just, just looking at those guidelines, doing the best we can, don't get too stressed out over it. But, you know, at the end of the day, we can do a lot more than we think. And I think that goes a long way. So just kind of going off of what Natalie said, there's definitely more, you know, physical reasons that we may have cravings such as gender. Um, Women are twice as likely um, than men to have cravings and kind of like Natalie was saying, that may be attributed to some of those hormonal changes. Women are also more likely to crave sweets than men. Men typically crave more savory foods. And so again, that
1: could just be, you know, related to some of those pregnancy reasons, the whole, or the I PMS. think the estrogen, cause men don't have estrogen. And like, when right. we look at the research, we see, oh, they're increased. Cravings for carbohydrates, sweet foods, that type of thing. It's like, well, what's again? We can't say it's causal, but it's like if we look, what's missing? They men have less estrogen than us, and our estrogen is surging at certain times in our lives, and. Then there's this also kind of increase in craving for carbohydrates. So we're just drawing these associations. Right. So there may be
0: an association, the, the pathophysiology or what exactly is happening in the body and the metabolic process of why and all of that. We don't know, but these are just, you know, interesting links that we can make. Types of foods consumed also. So obviously there's a big controversy over whether or not we already are consuming foods that are high in fat or sugar, increase the desire for them. Um, there's you know, a big conversation around sugar is addictive or fat is addictive and you hear it a lot when we're talking about food manufacturers, things like chips. A lot of people like to say, well, you know, they have the perfect blend of fat and salt and they got the ratio exactly right. And that's why people are craving them. Right. (laughs) And there's like a physiological reason that we crave carbohydrates because, you know, historically, like way historically, like caveman days, Mm -hmm. um, we didn't typically always find carbohydrates, you know, maybe it was more proteins. And so, the body would convert that into carbohydrate. so when we do find carbohydrate it's kind of like this treat you know mm-hmm. when we find berries or something so that actually so is straight up glucose so there's a lot of reasons that we can say that there's a lot of talk about how consuming foods that are rich in carbohydrates, like, you know, sweets, brownies, cookies, whatever rings your bell, how it kind of increases dopamine. And it's almost has like this drug like response to it in the body. But the research isn't consistent on that. So we're not going to make any claims on that. But these are all just, you know, reasons that people like to think that,
1: that that's true. So they do make us feel good. That part is true. They make you feel
0: good. But a lot of it is like, how much of that is tied to like the memories and the associations that we have consuming those foods. Like, you know, I can think about when I was a little girl and I would bake with my grandma and the smells and the sights and like, just thinking about sitting there and eating those things and the comfort that it brought me, you know? So it's like, we we just aren't quite there yet that we can draw any conclusions on like what exactly that is but it's I think it's an interesting conversation that you yeah know,
1: I think it really is it's just mixed the research is mixed like right there's like two camps there's like right. yes it's absolutely addictive it's the same as cocaine like it's you know it's the same cascade of effects that happen in your body when you eat it versus the other camp which says it's food, and you actually need it to survive. And there's no possible way you could be addicted to something you need to survive. Right. And then there's the people in the middle who are kind of like, well, both. <laughs> right.
0: And I think, you know, the tricky part is that there's research. You can find research that will support
1: both. You can cherry pick all day long. Exactly.
0: And people <laughs> do and will continue to cherry pick the information oh, yeah. and use it to their advantage, depending on whatever they're trying to do whatever or whatever they want to support. Or, yeah. You know, whatever. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, it comes back to how we always kind of wrap the conversation, which is like, what is helpful for you? You know, like you for you like, are you literally, is it for me? It's just not helpful to think that if I have a cookie that
1: you're an addict,
0: that I'm an addict like that, just that, just that connotation just brings it back to shame, which is the last thing that we should ever feel around food and eating. Like, do you feel shame about having to go pee? Do you feel shame about having to breathe? Like, no. Like you should not feel shame around food. And I think, you know, that's why it becomes so
1: nuanced and tricky. But at the end of the day, like the gold standard is the research. So And doing what's worth so using the research to kind of, you know, okay, understanding this is what's happening and maybe this is like the physiological thing that's going on, or this, you know, down to the scientific facts or whatever right. you want to call it. But then it also so comes down to you making a decision for yourself as an adult and what works for you. And it's super complicated because it's like our goals are different. Our preferences are different. We're completely unique, right? So like what works for you, which is just to have the cookie and not think of it as being addictive and full of sugar that's bad for you might not work for someone else. Like maybe they actually do need that structure and they want to think of it as like, okay, it's a lot of added sugars and it's something that I'm not going to eat all the time, but I'm going to enjoy one every now and then, but I am going to tell myself that no, I'm not having that all the time and I'm putting restrictions on my, that works for some people. That right. doesn't actually work for me personally either. And that's why it's I don't work with the restriction. I need to feel like I'm intuitive and I'm in like, I'm able to choose what I need for my body and whatever I feel like I want or I need in a moment is something I can honor. Um, but maybe someone else that is the opposite for them. And with that, they feel out of control, you know, but it's like, right. everyone's at a different place. Everyone has different goals. Every, everyone's just different you know yeah i think as dietitians it's important that we we honor that
0: yeah and i think like going back to the research another reason that you know it's kind of a controversial thing is because there's also research research supporting that other things are are addictive too like cracking your knuckles or like you know a certain pattern of behavior or like, there's so many things that can be addictive for one person. That's not addictive for another person. So really at the end of the day, like what we are seeing in the research is that anything can be addictive. You know what I mean? Like if what's that one show where people are addicted to eating toilet paper and like, like I forget what it's called. Yeah. It's like, like, it's like my my weird obsession or something something like like that. Like you can be addicted to literally anything. Like you can be addicted to thought patterns. You can be addicted to, touching your butt. I don't know. Like, I don't know. You can be literally addicted to anything and you can create that hormone cascade or those happy chemicals with pretty much anything, but we're so individual. And I think that's something that like the research lacks, lacks being able to identify, but obviously it does identify trends and things that are very important at the end of the day in whole populations. So that's
1: that's like something like in disease states and
0: things like that. But when it comes down to Things like this that are so personal, like it it gets tricky. Yeah. So, anyways, moving on from that, another thing that is a physical part of cravings is the big topic of nutrient deficiencies. A lot of people like to have this idea that, you know, okay, if you're craving whole grains, you're lacking B vitamins. If you're craving, you know, fresh meat or like beef or chicken or something like that, you're craving iron. If you're craving chocolate or you're 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 needing. Uh, those things, not craving. Um, if you're craving those things, you're needing that nutrient. So if you're craving chocolate, maybe you need magnesium, whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, there's not a lot of evidence to, to support that. It's also interesting because in some of those cases, for instance, um, there's better sources of those nutrients than than the thing that you're craving, right. So like if you're craving cheese, you know, and you want to say, oh, it's because you have a calcium deficiency, there's things that will have a much higher level of calcium, like canned salmon with the bones, or like, you know, there's just so many other things, but it's like, well, why don't I crave that? Right. Or like
1: plain, like plain like yogurt Greek or something. Yogurt. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, why am I not, not craving, craving that?
0: that. Like, right. Yeah. So, sure, we can make those correlations and assumptions, but there's not a lot of research to really support that. Um, interestingly, there are actual nutrient deficiencies that are well known. Uh, so, for instance, Pica. This is a really interesting one. Uh, So, with iron deficiencies, pica can be a symptom uh, where you crave non nutritive substances. So, things that are not edible. And this is some examples would be like socks, ice, cornstarch, dirt. Um, People will crave some really funky stuff. Um, I remember when I was iron deficient. Many years ago, and at that time, I was eating just so much ice, I was just constantly chewing on ice. And so, it's so weird to me, it, it was, it is so weird. <laughs> yeah. And other people will chew on chalk or like, yeah, the, like dirt and stuff. So, yeah.
1: it's like, I you wonder know. what that comes from because, like, that's not giving you iron, right? Like, your body saying, Oh, like, wanting having this feeling of like wanting to chew on ice
0: yeah I mean there's minerals and nutrients that are in things like soil, but I don't really think that's a high source of iron no. Um, socks mm, not no so much. yeah, and like ice, there's like nothing in it so it's it's kind of interesting. I don't know like the pathophysiology of that, but it's just a very interesting one um, right so another one is sodium. So um, some people that are deficient in sodium have reported ele- uh, elevated cravings for salty foods. Um, also those that are on diuretics. So if you're on a diuretic where it's basically causing your body to expel extra fluids, that kind of concentrates the electrolytes that are already in your system. So if you're releasing a lot of the fluids that the sodium is in contained in, then those sodium levels per that volume of fluid will look higher, if that makes sense. I was going to say, does that make
1: sense? (laughs) We need your answer. We need
0: to know. Anyways, individuals in both of those circumstances um, will will, um, experience sometimes having those cravings for saltier foods. But again, this is just an association. Um, So at the end of the day, the research that we have so so far doesn't support any causal relationship between
1: food cravings or even pica, right? Which is like super unexciting and not what people want to hear. But that's pretty much always going to be the answer, like
0: exactly. And that's a lot of what I say sometimes is that like it's so in so many places, not just in nutrition. People want things to be black and white. They mm-hmm. want people to be yes or no because it's sensational
1: and it's like exciting and it just makes
0: it easy right like if you're looking for an answer you want to know okay but do i eat it or do i not eat it and at the end of the day like with actually like literally everything in life Mm -hmm. it doesn't rely on like a yes or no it's not so cut and dry forget the exact word for it but it lies on a spectrum you know like it, it lies on like in the gray area you know and that's just
1: nutrition and we, we want to reduce everything down, especially in the nutrition field. I feel like, right? Like we want to re- we want to look at one nutrient and we want to say that is the one. That's right. the one. That's the one we need to eat or more the food of, or we want to like, say like one thing and like that's the, the one we need to cut out. Right? We want to like take everything and look at it on a microscopic level and then like know all the answers and then decide. Okay, this is how I can concoct everything to be this perfect
0: you know thing but like
1: that's not life like life is messy and And life is synergistic and there's so many things that we don't understand if you think about where we are now and I think I don't know if I've said this before in another podcast but I read this in a Michael Pollan book and the perspective was like mind-blowing we are at where we're at now where surgery was in like the 1700s okay so think about getting operated on in the 1700s is that something that you would want to do fuck no not me hell no that sounds scary as hell like that's where we're at though so my whole point with saying that is to give you guys some perspective of like we act sometimes or some people act like they know everything or we act like we know everything we have all the answers and we don't so if anyone's coming at you like they have all the answers to something and they know everything that should probably be a red flag yeah because we don't know everything we can try our best to work with the research that we've got and do our best to to perform unbiased research that's peer reviewed and that is legitimate. But at the end of the day, there's so many things that go into that, that we can't just make these blanket statements. Things are not black and white. We cannot reduce things down like that, right? Like It's just not, it's not possible. But that being said, we have come so far and there are so much that we do know of how directly related that nutrition is to so many different things like diseases that are preventable and we are living so much longer than 35 now, right? Like people are living past on a hundred and it's becoming more and more common. You see me centenarians or centennials. Is that how you say it?
0: People yeah, that live to like a hundred. Yeah. But anyway,
1: I hope that's me. And I think that it's amazing yeah. that we've come this far, but just, just be a skeptic. Like, yeah, I be mean, a skeptic. If
0: people are saying with anything in life that they know something with hundred percent certainty, it's just something that you want to think twice about. Yeah. There, but- we have the research and that's what we have. And that's what, if you're looking for accurate research, go to a registered dietitian because that is the only like health professional. That's a nutrition professional. That's going to give you that accurate scientific information that they've devoted their life to not looking at anything else really besides that nutrition information or anything that's applicable to that.
1: Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to like make a comment and then I totally lost my train of thought, but but yeah, that's like, amen to that. (laughs) We digress. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So next, you guys, we're going to talk about the last one, which is the psychological aspect of cravings. Um, So this one is, in my personal opinion, maybe one of the strongest um, influences, right? So psychological, think of like neurons firing in your brain, things that you're thinking about, right? Your mind. When we think of this, a big thing that comes into play here is restriction, diets, right? Dieting, uh, restriction and deprivation is like a key part of it. You have to cut out a food group or you have to really like restrict a food group or um, at least in general, you have to be in a calorie deficit, right? So there's some kind of restriction. And I mean, restriction in the sense of a cal- being in a calorie deficit is necessary if your goal is weight loss, right? And that's fine. And there's health- totally a healthy way to do that. Um, but then there's also some unhealthy ways to do it. So restricting foods, um, oftentimes is going to intensify a craving, especially right away. If it's something that you've been used to eating regularly and consistently, and then you start a new diet, let's say it's keto, just to throw out an example, Um, maybe you were eating carbs like five times a day, you know, three meals and two snacks. You had a carb at every meal and now you're eating like no carbs. You're probably gonna be going a little bit crazy, thinking about carbohydrates Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, So it's gonna intensify your craving or your desire to eat them, right? This can lead to disordered eating, like the binge restrict cycle. So that's one thing, and then that's like, that's like on a you know pretty severe end of it, right? Like you have to be really restricting. Like, example, a really good example actually would be following the keto diet, which if any of you guys it's listening, it's very restrictive. It's very restrictive. Like you're basically cutting out an entire food group. If room. you're
0: doing it right, a lot of people are not doing it right. Right, that's but another if thing. If you and some people are and they have you know they're they're testing for ketones and everything, and that's pretty intense.
1: Check out our episode on we did an episode yeah, on the keto episode. diet, so yeah. check that out if you want to know more about the keto diet. But it's a great example of like a diet where you cut out an entire food group and you might be thinking a lot about carbohydrates because you're like not allowed to eat them and Mm -hmm. they are a vital macro macro macronutrient so there's one thing there with the with the psychological so that's biological and in some regard right but the restriction part can be very mental even if you're not actually restricting it like if we talk about having food rules which we could. We should do, we are going to do a podcast episode on intuitive eating, which we'll talk about food rules and things like that. But basically setting up rules, whether or not they're rules that you follow or just rules that you tell yourself in mm-hmm. your head with your thoughts, even if you're not following them, but you're still telling them to yourself, they're going to, it's, that's a form of restriction and, it's and that gonna can come lead, out somewhere. Yeah, that like, can lead to you feeling restricted around that food and then craving it more because you are telling yourself you can't have it. So maybe you're feeling guilty when you do have it. And, or you're eating it like less than maybe you want to, or you desire to, so you're not feeling satisfied that can lead to you just freaking out one day and saying, fuck it. Right. Throwing in the towel and grabbing the whole box of Oreos, sitting it down and putting it to the dome. Like and it's, it's that's, a normal thing. Like, yeah.
0: It's not even just with that. Like I like to just give this, this example, but like, remember when you were a kid or probably let's be honest, a teenager and you were in your angsty years and your parents would be like, no, you can't do that. About whatever it was. Like, what did you do? That you did that. Yeah. You did the thing that you want what that you, you cannot, cannot do. Yeah. So, if, you know, it's like reverse psychology. And um, the brain has these involuntary things that's kind of a lot smarter than your conscious
1: brain. Right. No, 100%. So, so restriction plays a huge role here. That's probably like the number one thing when we talk about the psychological yeah. aspect of cravings is like well are you craving something that you're restricting all the time there's the opposite end of that too though of like you know craving things that maybe you have regularly and we're going to talk about that in a minute with like the cue induced cravings right Mm -hmm. so there's like something that cues you to want it but first we're going to keep talking about restriction and I want to talk about some research that I was looking at where there was kind of some ambiguous findings so on one hand there's the selectively restricting of a specific food so we're like restricting one kind of food let's just say it's like chocolate for example mm-hmm. for a short amount of time so for a few days maybe to like a, up to a week we're telling the people you can't have any chocolate they're not having any chocolate um, that's related to an increase in cravings for that food so notice how i said related to we're not saying it's causal but it's mm-hmm. related to we're seeing that we told them they couldn't have it they didn't eat it and they reported to us that they wanted it more Okay. On the other hand, we saw that people who are following a calorie-restricted diet, so they're restricting, but not something specific, but they're still restricting in general, right? They're not letting themselves have whatever they want when they want it. Um, They followed these people for weeks to months, so a longer period of time, and they did not experience an increase in cravings. So it has to do with selectivity, and it could also have to do with time. And here's another funny thing about research. If we want to look into the research a little deeper, we want to look at the population, we want to look at other things, the selective food deprivation studies are typically done in normal weight college women. Think about that for a second. That's extremely specific population. First of all, they're not overweight or obese. They're normal weight. They're in college, so that tells you something about their socioeconomic background, their culture, what is important to them, their values. And then they're women, so they're one gender specifically. So that's something to consider. Right. And then that's if we look
0: like something that that's there's like no external validity, like right. how can you apply that to the general population? That's very specific.
1: Right. This is a problem with research a lot of the time that right. people don't consider. Right. And then if we looked at the calorie restriction studies, the ones who just in general restricting calories for a little bit longer period of time, this is done usually obese or overweight individuals, right? I mean, if we're we're putting them in a study to lose weight. They're not going to be normal weight people because the normal weight people don't have the weight to lose. They're going to be obese or overweight. So again, that's not applicable to someone who's normal weight because they're not obese or overweight. Right. Mm So these are things to consider when we're thinking about the research. That's why we keep talking about research and how it isn't perfect. It's amazing and it's so useful and it's gotten us to where we are today. But there's things we need to consider when we're trying to extrapolate information and Mm -hmm. make claims related to findings from research and okay? that's what makes
0: it tricky honestly yeah. that makes it very very tricky and that is you know people will ask a lot of the time yeah but so and so says this and then my doctor says this and my dietitian says this and that my friends is why yeah.
1: that's why yeah that's why. and interpretation is another thing right and like yeah we all can interpret things like differently and so it's and just
0: everyone has like like silent biases and that plays a role in everything in life, not just research.
1: Right. Right. Um, yeah. So it's very tricky. So yeah. So when we look at the research, specifically the research I just talked about, it seems that weight weight could have an influence, right? We look at normal weight, we're looking at obese, we're looking at, oh, you're seeing different things. Mm -hmm. So maybe those who are overweight, you know, they are having a different response to their cravings versus those that are at a normal weight. So these are all just things to look at. Yeah. All just things to consider. So another part of this is that we are highly conditioned creatures. The context is everything, right? We're highly conditioned. And what I mean by that is we learn. We're little sponges that absorb everything from the moment that we're born. Everything that happens around us, we're observing, we're absorbing, and we become conditioned socially as creatures because we're social and we're with other people all the time except when it's COVID and then you're alone (laughs) or just with one other person all the time in a tiny apartment going crazy. Oh yeah. Not making any references here, (laughs) Um, but context is everything. So being in a certain setting means consuming a certain food or beverage. Being at dinner with your friends, maybe you guys go out to dinner every Thursday, and it's like Thirsty Thursday, and you go to a specific restaurant and you order drinks and you have apps. That's a context. I that's love an environment apps,
0: the little like abbreviation for appetizers, and it was just so natural. I know that you guys already know what we were talking about, but I just thought. I didn't out, even think I
1: about love. it. Like I didn't. Yeah, even... because
0: it's like a word that's in the like Merriam-Webster dictionary, probably.
1: Right. At this point, it better be. We'll <laughs> add it if not. That's what yeah, we're gonna do. We'll right add after <laughs> So bachelor wine night, right? Yeah. like Monday night, all your girls come over in pre-COVID times when you can have gatherings um, and you guys all have a couple glasses of red wine and you're watching The Bachelor and you're enjoying yourself. You might be thinking when it's Thursday, oh, I can't wait for Monday and I can't wait for my, like, I want that red wine. I want that, that moment, that environment that situation that contacts with my friends and my red wine and my and the bachelor another example might be like maybe every time you go to the movies you always get popcorn at the movie theater and you put your butter on it or maybe every time you go to the movies you always sneak in your favorite candy in your purse or whatever when you go to the movies you are triggering the desire for the food that you have because you've conditioned yourself to that context and to that situation it's like a ritual it's like a ritual and then maybe every time you have maybe sundays are you're like relaxation self-care day where like you stretch and you do your meditation and then at night you put on your favorite netflix show and you always get the bag of chips out mm-hmm. or maybe you always get out a little bit of ice like you make yourself a little bowl of ice cream or you sit down and turn on the netflix and then maybe you weren't even thinking about it but you're like oh yeah my ice cream like yeah, i want it
0: cue that that's that cue induced yeah,
1: craving exactly um this is socialized behavior right we're, we're conditioned and then comfort foods those are mood dependent things. So maybe if we're feeling sad, we just went through a breakup, we just lost our job, our dog just died. I mean, these are really sad things, but even just like minorly sad things can can cue us to want to turn to something to comfort ourselves. And that can be food sometimes. And this is actually a normal thing. Like food is very comforting from The moment that we're born and we're in our mother's arms and we're breastfeeding or we're formula fed or whatever, that's a form of comfort. It makes us feel safe. It makes us feel secure. And those are things, those are basic needs as a human, especially as a baby. But those don't go away. Like that feeling of the comfort of eating or foods don't go away and actually develop and become even more intricate as we age. And we have, you know, we're involved in our family and we sit down for dinners and meals and we cook together and we gather and we have food around. So finding comfort in food is totally normal and natural Mm -hmm. shouldn't be the only tool in the toolbox for dealing with our emotions and comforting, but it can be one. I don't think that that is necessarily or inherently a bad thing. I think it's an inherently normal thing and we shouldn't make things that are inherently normal or a part of like being human bad because if it's inherently normal and and you tell me it's bad, well then I'm just bad and then that's shame. So that's nothing we ever want to evoke in somebody right Mm -hmm. so like I don't think that it's a bad thing that people sometimes turn to food for comfort it might become a problem or we might want to think about managing it in a different way if it's happening all the time or we like feel out of control right Or there it's leading to something that's harming our health that's a different story but just to turn to like me like for example I'd love to go to I like walk, walk to a coffee shop and get myself a latte and maybe sometimes I get myself something sweet to go with it that's like very comforting to me. and makes mm-hmm. me feel good. So if I'm kind of down and I go do that, I know it's going to cheer me up. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not like I'm doing it every single day. It's not like I'm getting a huge latte with tons of sugar in it. You know, I literally get like a latte with non-fat milk and no sweetener and I have like a small cookie with it or something. Yeah. And like, if and you you're know, doing that once a week, like that's totally fine. Yeah. Like, and
0: even if you are having a big meal and you're having a fried chicken sandwich with fries, like that is okay. You are allowed to feel comfort from that. You are allowed to enjoy that. You are allowed to, you know, do whatever you need around food. But I think the bottom line is it comes down to your cognizance in the presence of those things and being conscious of where you are on the spectrum of how is this, you know, you know, with any behavior that you have at the end of the day, is this something that I'm taking to this end of the spectrum or that end of the spectrum? And I think that's just a human responsibility that we have to ourselves in our lives.
1: Yeah. And that's the psychological part of it is like sitting down and have that burger and fries that you craved, like you probably are going to overeat it. If you, before you sat down to eat it, you told yourself that, I shouldn't be doing this. I can't believe I'm doing it. This is so bad. I'm falling off the wagon. I'll get back on top. Just don't do that. No, like Like, don't don't, that's setting yourself up to just keep repeating it and repeating. it. And then you're going to
0: eat the whole thing because you're going to have this very uncomfortable emotion that you're trying to displace and numb through an action that you're doing. Hello food. And you're sitting there eating the food and you're now numbing yourself with it. So be present with the food, sit there with it, enjoy the meal, Listen to your satiety signals and when you're done with the meal and you're too full, take the rest to go because then you get two
1: meals. Exactly. And if you if you set yourself – if you tell yourself you can't have this food and it's bad that you're eating it, A, you're going to maybe not know when you can have it again because you're going to – you're telling yourself like, oh, this was so bad. I'm, I'm not I'm, – you know, I'm going to jump right back on track on Monday or whatever if it's – you're having a burger on Saturday or whatever. And then you're like telling yourself you can't have it and then you don't know when you're going to have it again. So that leads to even like scarfing it even more. And that's that whole like binge thing, right? So I don't know. There's so many things that come into cravings. And I think really the main thing here is understanding what your cravings are, understanding where they come up for you, which I think maybe us talking about the hormones and the psychological components and like the physical things can maybe help you understand more because I think when we have a basic understanding it's just insightful and then from there, you know, you can become aware and then you can make changes if that's something that you want to do. But trying to eliminate them all together is not going to work because they're still going to be there sometimes right. because We're always going to be socially conditioned because we're human. We're always going to be either male or female. And so for female, we're always going to have, you know, estrogen in our bodies. And we're always going to have cortisol because life is stressful sometimes. There's only so much that we can do, right? Like, well, hopefully
0: at the end of the day, like this just leaves you understanding yourself a little bit better and knowing that like, these are normal processes in the body that are occurring. And so like, there's no need to get down on yourself or feel like shit about it. It's just, these are normal things and whether or not we're conscious of exactly how this is all coming together. It's like, it, it's just a normal thing, you know, like yeah. it's, it's a, it's a part of being human and that's, that's okay.
1: Yeah, and I think it will be more manageable manageable if you do have an understanding of kind of baseline what's happening in general with people and cravings, and then what's happening in my life. Making sure that you're exercising somewhat regularly, that you know doing exercise that you actually enjoy, so you mm-hmm. can do it regularly. Drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, managing your stress—all of these things are going to help so that you you don't have crazy out of control cravings mm-hmm. because you're already going to have them, and that's okay to have a few. And it's totally fine to satisfy them by having whatever you're craving in like a moderate amount. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be harder to keep it a moderate amount or feel satisfied when you're not getting enough sleep When you're not exercising regularly when you're dehydrated You know, maybe you're not eating a nice balanced meal with enough vegetables and you're not getting enough fruit in so if you're lacking some nutrients, maybe you will be craving some random right. things, you know, like we can't say for sure, cause it's not causal, but that doesn't mean that it's not true. Right. Maybe you are insufficient in magnesium and maybe eating chocolate will give you some magnesium, but so will eating leafy greens right. or like, you know, healthy, food, you know, other foods right. that have magnesium in them. So making sure your, ba- your diet is balanced is gonna, all these things are going to help.
0: Right. And again, that's where those research recommended amounts kind of come in. But at the end of the day, you know, it's healthy. It's not that complicated. Do your best work on one thing at a time, try to incorporate one healthy behavior at a time. And as long as you're doing that, those, those little changes create big, big, big change over time.
1: Yeah. They so
0: are anyways, thank you guys so much for joining us today. This was a fun one. Yeah. Um, go out and enjoy whatever you're craving next time. Again, just be conscious,
1: just be conscious, everything in moderation and, uh, eat your greens. Yeah. Yo. within this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding any changes to your dietary pattern, a medical condition, or your overall health and well-being.